This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You are the leader in the courtroom, and you want the jury to be looking to you for the answers. When you figure out your theory, never deviate. You want the facts to be consistent, complete, incredible. The defense has no problem running out the clock. Delay is the friend of the defense. It's tough to grow a firm by trying to hold on and micromanage. You've got to front load a simple structure for jurors to be able to hold on to. What types of creative things can we do as lawyers, even though we don't have a trial setting? Whatever you've got to do to make it real, you've got to do to make it real. But the person who needs convincing is you. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I'm here with our Chief Marketing Officer, Delisi Friday. And we wanted to talk a little bit about something that we're experiencing in the hope that it would uh, help you and the development of your law firms, and that is growth and scaling up a law firm. How are you doing today, Delisi? Good. I'm really excited we're talking about this because I feel like everyone can relate. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about this and hopefully helping other people as well. Yeah. So I think that's one of been, I think one of the frustrations that you've expressed to me in your role as the marketing officer is that sometimes you're doing such a great job that we have the ability to bring in more cases than we can handle. Uh, and you almost feel like, yes, it's awesome. We just got this big case in, but now you're going to like make someone's life, you know, make them work weekends, make them work nights because they need to jump on it right away. And they already had a pretty busy docket. Yeah, that was actually the first time that I felt like, wow, we have this really great case. And then we have this other really great case and another really great case. But I knew our teams were already kind of reaching their limits which is a very odd feeling to have because I want us to be successful. I also don't want us to be someone who doesn't fulfill our promises to our clients and to our referral attorneys because we're not working as well because we're overwhelmed. So that was the first time that I felt it. But I also think that there are things we should be doing to know when that happens before it happens. Yeah. And I, you know, I had to have some uncomfortable conversations as well with uh, some of our referral partners and that, you know, obviously if someone had a death case or a quadriplegia case, like, yes, we will make room, we will hire some, whatever we need to do. But for cases that are, you know, our bread and butter, you know, trucking case, injured neck that may or may not turn into a surgery, you know, we want to take those cases. We make great money on those cases. We're set up and a good system to do them. But there were a couple of times when, you know, it was a, not an A plus case, it was more like a, a B or B plus case. And I had to tell the lawyer, like, look, we have historically taken these cases. We will take them in the future. But right now, if I took this case, I can't keep my promises to you because it will fall between the cracks or I'll have to make people work all crazy hours and they might not do it. And I don't want to take this case if it means that I'm going to hurt our relationship in the long run because the client's not going to get the result they deserve as quickly as they deserve it. You're not going to get the service you deserve. But that's scary because you always you know, worry that if uh, you say no and someone else gets it, that they take that relationship and you lose the whole stream of referrals. It hasn't happened yet. But yeah. It is no. scary. And, and I feel the same concern with you because from the marketing aspect, I, I always want to market our firm honestly. And I want us to fulfill our promises as well, because the second that we don't is when we lose all that credibility that we've taken a long time to earn. Um, so I, I share the concern with you as well. And it's much bigger, I think, when it's a referral-based practice because you just can't BS a lawyer. Like you could maybe get away if you were, one, were that kind of person with BSing. A client doesn't know what you're doing, what needs to be done. They don't know what questions to ask necessarily, whereas a lawyer does. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lawyer knows uh, when you're there, a referral counsel, whether you're doing what you need to do or not, typically, especially if you communicate with them. Uh, and then... Lawyers talk to each other. So there's one lawyer that's disappointed with you. He will, he or she will tell all their friends uh, about their major disappointment. And you can, it could cause a, the ripple effect of taking on work that you don't have the capacity to do it can really right. uh, cause long-term harm. But it is so hard to say no. It is. It is. Well, so I think that kind of leads into the, the first part of this conversation, which is when do you know 
that you need to grow and how do you figure that out? Well, to me, it's if I'm starting to, well, two things. One, if I see the workloads on my people are becoming unhealthy, then we have two choices. We have to take on less cases or we have to add more people. Uh, you know, we have, we found that our sweet spot is 20 to 25 cases per uh, lawyer team. Uh, you know, when our, we've hired three new associates this year, when they kind of get up and running a little quicker, we may, since it's, you know, a partner and an associate working on a case, we may be able to handle a little bit more, but I, I want to make sure that we give every case the attention to detail. Now that's our, that's our practice. I, I know lawyers would have a much smaller, like eight or 10 cases. I, I know one that has four cases per lawyer. Uh, and then I know other firms that are very successful up in 80. I mean, it depends on what kind of cases you're doing and the level of, of detail that each case takes. If you're running, you know, a, a, a large volume of small insurance policy car wreck cases, then you can't justify putting in the, the time per case that we put mm-hmm. in and you'd have a very different business model. But you, there's still some number at which it's just you, you, what I found is when lawyers are having to put out fires and deal with crises all the time, they're not pushing the cases forward. And the even if you only cared about the money, you didn't care about what you're doing to the mental health, uh, the money goes down. Because as we have seen that as our caseload for lawyers hits that 20 to 25 optimal space, and maybe, you know, sometimes like on Sonia Rios' talk, it needs to be a little smaller because she's got bigger cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mallory Peacock has got to be a little smaller because they have bigger cases and need even more work. But that the revenue per lawyer ironically goes up. I know Tim Mackey from Vista, when I was working with Vista and I would have long debates about this. And he's like, you know, what you need to do is get all your support staff going so your lawyers can handle more cases each. I'm like, no, my goal is to have them handle fewer cases. And at first he thought I was insane, but then he saw the results and he goes, well, yeah. I guess that is the right thing to do for your particular firm. But so, yeah, I think one thing to look at is if you are overstressing your people. Uh, the second is if you are having to turn down things that you wish you could keep, and then it's like, am I having to turn down enough things that justify hiring someone else? Uh, then we can think about growing. So, you know, we were at a point where we either had to add more lawyers or we had to start saying no at a rate that we felt would damage our referral relationships because we weren't going to be able to provide the level of service. And then we were going to have to turn to somebody else. And uh I mean, I guess we could hope only give us your best cases and give someone else your, your, <laughs> you know, your B cases and only give us your A's. But that's a that's a big ask to do for somebody. Yeah. And uh, the fact is, a lot of our A cases, you don't know they're A when they come in because if someone brings you in early, you don't know how the medical is going to develop. Uh, and we would hate we, we we actually went and looked at it and we we looked at a lot of the bigger fees we had had for cases where when they came in, you know, for the first few months, we wouldn't know that would this person recover. And then, you know, they ended up needing surgeries a year later. Right. Uh, and they turned out to be some bigger cases. Well, and I will add to that that for the listeners, we discuss our dockets every week. So every week when we have our leadership meetings, I will share with the team how many cases each attorney has on their docket and then break it down a step further and say, this is the amount of cases if you take out the cases that are in the settlement phase, because that makes a difference, the phases of the case and how much work you're having to do on them. Um, so that's one way that we kind of assess the the docket and um, whether it's too much for an attorney to handle or not. So I do think it is healthy for us to have those conversations regularly because you and I can decide if we have a big case that comes in, who could handle it and who is overwhelmed at the time. And I think that's healthy for everyone to be having those conversations. Yes. And also when I do my monthly attorney development meetings, I, I, it's one of the things that I'm required to discuss my attorneys, their caseload and how are they handling it. And now it, it does take time to get an attorney to trust me well enough to tell me when they're overloaded because they, uh, well, sometimes they want to get more cases because they want to make more money uh, and they're not thinking about the quality. But the other thing is they just don't want to admit it. Because uh, it takes a lot of trust to tell you, boss, hey, I think I am overloaded because, you know, there's that fear of how that's going to be. Absolutely. How that's going to be received. And so I have to prove to them that that I am worthy of their trust by saying, you know, when someone does tell me that, that I do steps to help rather than punishing them or something for being overloaded. And sometimes you're overloaded because of you, uh, because some lawyers, you know, spend time doing things that aren't particularly productive that they could delegate or that aren't going to add a lot of value to the getting involved and putting a lot of energy into fights on things that aren't that important 
uh, to the case are over overthinking things. Like sometimes you just need to make a decision and you don't need to dwell on it for hours. It's just there's two options. Neither one's perfect. You just got to go with your gut sometimes. And so it's some, some of us just can, can be coaching there, but sometimes it is an, an acknowledgement. Yes, you know, you have more work than one person can do. Let's find a solution for this. We can either have someone help you. We can take some cases off the docket. Uh, or you can choose to suck it up and not give you another case until you catch up. I mean, depending on how you want to handle it and, and make it, but having an open and, and clear discussion. Uh, but we do have to have those discussions with lawyers. So we start feeling when we are, you know, getting, getting over capacity. Right. Well, so, and if we're a strong team, the only way that we can help those individuals is if we talk it out. Yeah. I mean, if they don't tell you where they're struggling, then how do we know where to help them? So that's what makes those attorney development meetings really important. Yeah, it's really it's a lot of work and a lot of effort. And it's not something that comes naturally to me. But having that total honesty, sometimes I don't want to say brutal honesty, like Nick Riley would say, but I mean, but telling the truth, saying, saying it in a nice way yeah. uh, and saying a place where someone believes that you're saying this because you have the, the, you care about them, you have their best interest at heart, you have the firm's best interest in heart, and you're trying to to help them become the best they can be. And part of that is what is the ideal workload for you. Right. Uh, but, yeah, we do need to, to get a feel for that. And then the decision is, okay, we need to grow. How are we going to grow? Right. <laughs> so how do you decide how you're going to grow? A few ways. One, we need to look at what are the pain points. I'll say we're feeling overloaded. Is this something that we could handle? Like if you had one additional paralegal so that that, that, that work would get done and we could, we could avoid hiring another lawyer. Could that work? Uh, if we hired you an associate uh, and, you know, knowing full well that you have to train that person, uh, would that work? Or do we need to go find an experienced lawyer that can handle a docket, uh, which was at traditionally what I did is try to look for experienced lawyers because you think you get this instant solution to your problems. My experience has been that the, what I call the hit rate, the the number of lawyers that are already experienced that work out at our firm is not that high. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to do better uh, because we have our own culture and our own systems. It can be difficult for someone that didn't do all these things for years to, to accept that they have to do them now. Yeah. Uh, you know, their monthly file reviews, your, as soon as, you know, as soon as you can request depots, we send out four letters requesting depots, then we just notice them and you know, we don't put it off. We get it moving. And uh, no, we don't just try to settle the case first. We want to find out whether there's any good liability problems uh, that we can use to add value to the case on the defense side. Uh, and so, you know, we've had better results long term with hiring young lawyers, but then sometimes you don't have that. Like we need someone now. We don't can't wait two or three years. Right. Uh, and so those are all things. And, and it just depends on the firm. If, you, if we didn't have as, as developed of a culture and systems, that might not matter as much. And maybe we could even gain by finding somebody that can replace them that had those. Right. You refer to them as bad habits. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it is, in, in fairness, it is hard to change. When you've always done something a certain way, it's hard to go into another law firm that does something very different. And we've talked in this podcast a lot about the different procedures that we have and why they're in place. Um, but, but it is hard. So it, it, it makes sense then for it to be a little bit more difficult to bring someone on with experience who's always done it in another firm differently and then expect them to excel here. And it usually takes at least a year because uh, what they have to do is they have to give in and do it our way and then see that they're getting more money more quickly when they do it our way mm-hmm. on their cases. Uh, and some people will never do it. And they just, unfortunately, we wish them the best of luck. But like... You can be, if you have a better way to do things, great. Open your own law firm and do them. And I will wish you every success. There's enough work out there for all of us. But if you want to work at my law firm, then, you know, I'm not going to totally micromanage you, but there's certain things that we do. You know, we don't yell at people. We don't wait till last minute to do things. We get things done in advance so that we can plan them out. Uh, we don't settle a case without bringing to the group to talk about what the value is to make sure that we're not undersettling it and make sure that we're not being irrational either on having offer demands that are way too high that don't make any sense. Uh, you know, just certain things that we, you know, we get depots notice quickly. We get discovery out quickly. We just, there's things you have to do to work here. And, you know, I respect that other people have had success doing things another way. And, uh, if they want to do things another way, they're very welcome to just not at our law firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just having to learn to have enough confidence to make that clear, uh, those expectations just from the interview process on, uh, and then 
you know, I've had to learn the hard way that not to let things slide, that I have to bring them up. I have to enforce them. Uh, if not, you get, you know, toxic pockets within your firm. And we've had that happen before. Well, and I've, I've been with you long enough that I have seen this firm in different sizes. We've had in our San Antonio office, when I started, there was maybe five of us. And I think of our 33 employees right now, there's, I don't know, maybe 29 or something like that um, with us now. So I've, I've seen the growth. So I'm really curious, how does it feel to you when we grow? What are those emotions? <laughs> uh, there's some fear because, you know, I cannot practice law, market my firm and run a 33. I think we're going to be 35 on Monday mm-hmm. employee firm. Uh, I don't have one. It's not my uh, it's not my gift. The, the gifts that God gave me do not include uh, managing people. Well, um, I'm, I'm not good with the consistency it's hard for me to tell people when they're not doing things right. Uh, it just doesn't. I'm getting better at it. I've been working at it. But it's not. And I don't like it. I don't like doing. I have to like. I mean, I do them because I have to, but I don't like it. I, so, you know, I've had to find and it took three or four tries to find the right manager. Uh, and we caused some real pain by having wrong managers. Uh, Teresa's wonderful. I'm, uh, Teresa Rodriguez, our current manager, she's incredible. Um uh, and she, we promoted her from within. She had no management experience. She mm-hmm. was my assistant, but she's, her heart was in the right place, and we knew that she had the skills. Uh, and so I've had to learn to let a lot of things go and, you know, get good people to do things and trust them. I mean, you run our intake department. You make 80 – I gave you a set of roles, but you probably make 80% of the yes-no decisions, uh, at least the initial ones. Now, the lawyer who gets the case assigned to them can say – no, but you, you know, a lot of the no's, you decide whatever ever talking to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a difficult thing for me to give up. I knew I needed to because I was a bottleneck. Like I would just not have time to look at it. I wouldn't make, I either wouldn't make a decision for a long time, which created a problem, or I would make a rash, hasty decision, which usually would be yes, because I didn't have time to look at it and I didn't want to get any, someone mad. So I know when I find that I'm bottlenecking, then I need to find someone I can trust and look like I can trust you. And it's working out really well. And then on the ones that are the borderline cases, you do come talk to me. And you've, you know, we've learned, oh, it wasn't instantaneous, but we've learned over time that you've learned more what my thought process would be uh, and uh, when you need to talk to me and when you don't. And so it's really, it's been a great liberating thing, but it's scary to do. Well, thank you for trusting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it is important to have people in your office who you can trust to help you with those decisions to scale your law firm. Yeah. Um, so when you are trying to make that difficult decision, then what you mentioned, what are the things that kind of alert you along the way that you need to grow? Um, and we've grown and then we've scaled down and then we've grown back up again. So clearly you don't always have to stay at one certain level. Um, so what are the things that you are thinking about when you are growing that maybe may not be as obvious to some of our listeners? What have you learned along the way? Yeah, I think the first thing you have to think about is, do you want to grow? Do you want to, because if you're going to grow, you have to, you have to run your business as a business. When I had two or three employees, I did not have to really run it like a business. We could be a lot more informal, but do you want to have the kind of law firm where you're not going to make every decision yourself? You want to have the kind of law firm where you're going to have processes and systems in place that are followed and monitored and tracked. Because uh, if you if you if that's not you and it's not everybody, uh, then you might not want to grow. Some I know some people they have a docket of four to ten cases. They have a, somehow get four to ten decent cases, and they have one or two employees. Sometimes just virtual employees, and they're perfectly happy doing it that way. Uh, so you know, I think the growth you should grow if it is going to fulfill you if it's going to, if it's what you want to do. Uh, for me, I mean, I have, I, I would go crazy if I was working on my own. I, I love the interaction with other people. I love the, I love my, the socialization I get with other people. I love bringing in someone and working with them and watching them nurture and develop into fantastic, whatever, you know, lawyer. I love it when the receptionist becomes a medical coordinator, becomes the paralegal, and, you know, works up and becomes incredible and empowered and 
when the when like Mallory comes in as a one year lawyer, never done a personal injury case, and now I think she's one of the best personal injury case lawyers in the country. Could try a case on her own, work up a case on her own. Uh, just seeing that to me, I, I have a great joy out of doing that. Not everyone does though, and it's a lot of work. And so, is this something that you want to do? Because it means you're going to spend less time practicing law, and you're going to, have to spend more time trying to work on your on the business rather than in the business. It's what the, from the book called E Myth. Uh, you know, you work on your systems, work on your supervision of people, and not just on taking your own depositions and drafting your own pleadings and stuff. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. So is it something you want? I think that's the first thing. The second is, do you have, is this a temporary bump? Or do you have enough sustainable, a sustainable enough flow of business to make it where it makes economic sense to grow? Uh, because, you know, just because you're having a, a month where a lot of, like we had a new law come in uh, that took effect September 1st uh, that uh, has some adverse effects on trucking and company vehicle cases in Texas. And so we got a flood of cases in in July and August because everybody wanted to get those cases filed by September 1st. But we also knew that we we're going to slow down after that. So, right. like, that's the case where we thought, well, it might slow down after that. So we're just going to suck it up for a while. Because if we grow and then we don't have work for those people in six months or a year, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, the, it didn't slow down after that, and we, we've grown since then. But that's another uh, another consideration. I think the third consideration on the plaintiff side, because we're a contingency fee-based system, so not only do you not get paid until the end, but then you are increasing your overhead payroll, you're also increasing by taking on more cases the case expenses per case, uh, and depending on, on what area you practice in, but on, on what we do, you know those can be you know eighty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in one case. And do you have the cash flow to do that? Do you have either enough money coming in, enough money saved? Can you get lines of credit to help get you over the hump? Because it is it is growth is painful in this. Especially rapid growth is painful in the personal injury arena because, you know, you got to pay everyone to do the work. You got to fund the cases, but you, you know, it's one to three years before you start getting the money back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so are you realistically in a position where you can afford to grow? You know, one of the things we started doing, I think last year, maybe the year before was when we were talking about our docket sizes and what we have, you said, let's compare our year to date. And what was interesting to me is somehow without even trying, we always have about the same number of cases each year. Even if each month we had more cases in the last or less, for some miraculous reason, it always worked out. So for me, when you were mentioning, you know, thinking about your work, is this a bump or is this not? It was a little bit easier, I think, for us to talk about that when we were looking at our year to date reports and saying, actually, we're right on on track to be exactly where we were last year. And it, it also helps us think about, you know, projecting for the future as well. So I, I found that to be extremely helpful. And for everyone listening, if you're not doing it already, I would recommend it because it was good for us to see, are we on track? Is this what we did the year before and the year before that? Or is this truly a bump and right. it's going to set us higher than we were, you know, the previous years. And I think that some people might wonder, well, why are you growing if, you're, if your numbers aren't drastically increasing? And it's because the quality of the case. We've actually yes. said no to a lot more cases this year, yes. too. Uh, but because the quality of cases is increasing, they need more attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to bring our we wanted to bring our case count down so that we could give the attention. You know, in a previous podcast, you mentioned Chad Dudley introduced us to the five-star rating. Yeah. Where we rate our cases based on, on different factors and we don't have to go into detail on it, but that was really important because we realized the numbers only tell a portion of the story. 
we may have the exact same number of cases that we did last year, but the types of cases, the quality, and what our projected attorney's fees are going to be are going to be vastly different. Right. So that was helpful as well to try and determine, okay, maybe our numbers are a little bit different, but why are they different and is the quality of case different too? Right. Because if we're getting overloaded because we have too many one-star cases, then we know that we need to change our intake criteria. Mm-hmm. But if we're getting overloaded because we're having more, you know, four and five star cases than we can handle, then, you know, we need to increase our capacity to handle cases. We don't want to be in a position where we're turning those down. Right. Well, and if you also compared a partner docket to an associate docket, you would say, man, your partners need way more cases. But in reality, those cases are going to take longer to handle and more time and attention. And so the number does not tell the full story. Yeah, because you look at the partner dockets bring in a lot more money, even though they're smaller dockets because they are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's easier to handle, you know, three multi-million dollar cases than it is to handle, bring in 20 or 30 cases to bring in the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, smaller ones. Yep. And one of the things that Sonia loves to talk about is time on desk. She's mentioned that a lot. So I also find time on desk interesting too. If you're trying to figure out how long is it going to take for me to settle this case? Well, how long is it usually taking me to settle similar cases as well? And will this person's docket clear up a month, two months, three months from now? And is this just a temporary issue or is this an issue that's going to take a lot longer than we think it is? Yeah. And some of the changes we've made haven't been for the lawyers. It's been for the paralegals. Like mm-hmm. we are either going to have to add more paralegals, which are hard to find. Yeah. Uh, they are like diamonds. They are so good. Paralegals are getting rarer and rarer. Um, I think it's because of a wonderful societal change that the only problem with it is there aren't many because you used to have all these brilliant women who, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago were not necessarily going off to law school and medical school, uh, you know, maybe encouraged even not to go to college or finish college. And but they were still brilliant and hardworking and all well organized and they would be these incredible paralegals. Well, in this generation, all those women are becoming lawyers, doctors, CEOs, engineers, which is great. But it means that our paralegal pool of good paralegals is harder and harder to find. And so what we found is adding people to take some tasks that aren't as knowledge intense off their plate, like we call it medical coordination, like coordinating the medical records, but keeping track of the client's treatment, reminding the client of doctor's appointments, calling the client after the doctor's appointment, see how it was going. Maybe sometimes we need to remind the doctor, hey, this person has neck pain, they haven't, an MRI, they haven't had an MRI yet, you, maybe you should consider ordering that. Then we could hire someone else to do that part of the case, mm-hmm. work with the paralegal and the lawyer. You know, That way the paralegal would be as overwhelmed. Uh, so that was part of our growth. Yeah. Uh, part of the growth was in our marketing department. We, you know, Luckily, we were doing well and we needed to add more people there. Hired an in-house graphic designer, that was really cool. Uh, and then, uh, but part of it has been lawyers. The other thing that I think is equally important when it comes to scaling your law firm is also the training aspect of it and onboarding. You know, whenever we're having our conversations about that, the other part of the conversation is let's think about the time commitment that there is when you bring someone new on. So tell me a little bit about your thought process on onboarding and what is realistically the time commitment when you're bringing someone new on. And that is, that has been one of the hardest things. I mean, when we've, we found that more effort we put in up front, the better, the more likely we are to have success with that person yeah. because the, the expectations are clearly communicated. How to do the job is clearly communicated. You know, we have complex systems in place. And if you don't do the little steps, they fall apart. So, yeah, it's been really important, but it's just I don't have time to do it. And so, again, it's been me having to come in when I need to come in, like on some of the, you know, we do like a Friday training for lawyers every Friday at three. Um, some just like what I'm trying to do now is every time I have a deposition, we have younger associates now, I'm trying to do a three part process of, and I don't do it every time I should, but just time gets in the way uh, before the deposition, having like a little sit down with them and saying, okay, I have this deposition tomorrow. This is my plan. This is what I hope to accomplish in this deposition. This is my strategy. And then, so they know what, what I'm doing and why, and then have them sit with me in the deposition. And then afterwards have another little discussion. Okay. We knew what the plan was. Now we saw what happened in the depot. You know, what, you know, what, what, according to that, do you have any, any 
if I didn't do something according to plan, do you have any questions about what I did, why I did it? Is there something we could have done better? What are the next steps we need to take on this case now based on what we learned at this deposition? Do we need to request more documents? Do we need to depose other people? Do we need to change our strategies on something? You know, what, what do we need to do to figure this out? Uh, do more investigation, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and that way they can, you know, this, you can only lecture so much. The, right. the, the on-the-job training is important too. But just, you know, giving someone, oh, here the depot, read my transcript, that's not really helpful. Right. Uh, and just watching me do the depot is not that helpful if you don't have some idea what my thought process is. Well, and there's also something about being live in a depot where you see the tone in someone's voice or the facial expression, something nonverbal that I think you can pick up when you're live as yeah. well. But you have to, but it's a time commitment on my part. Mm -hmm. and, and this also means I have to pay somebody to sit there watching me do a depot instead of having them, you know, answer discovery or draft a motion or do something else. Right. This might be a, a tough question, but I think Chad Dudley brought it up in a podcast in the past where he said something like, you could be a great tennis player, but it doesn't mean you could be a great tennis coach. So I think the flip side of all of the onboarding discussion we just had is, is everyone going to be a great coach? Yeah. And I don't think I am a great coach. I think I'm a great teacher, like getting up and lecturing, explaining things. I think I do that well. Sitting with someone and letting them struggle through it and then giving them encouragement and, and having the tenacity to go do the regular check-ins and not get distracted by other people. That's not me. Uh, the other problem, I don't want to sound too egotistical, but most of this stuff comes really easy to me. And so I get very easily frustrated when people learn things at a normal pace. Like, what the fuck? Excuse my language. <laughs> no, no. I, I, <laughs> Why don't you accept it? I mean, and, and I try not to say it, but it's what I'm thinking and it, yeah. it comes across. And so I have found that I am not the right person. I am the right person to come up with how to do it. I'm the right person to show you how to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not the right person to sit with you while you're doing it. It's not my, that is not my gift. God did not. God, I'm grateful to God for the gifts that he gave me and the blessings he gave me, but that's not one of them. I think it says a lot for you to be able to say that and realize it. <laughs> not everyone can. So yeah. I appreciate your candor and just realizing that that's not who you are. Um, Let's the movie line. A man's got to know his limitations. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and really and truly, and I've really realized this, you know, I spent so much in my life trying to get better at the things I wasn't as good at. Mm-hmm. And I finally realized I'm 51 years old. I'm probably not going to change the fundamentals of who I am. So why don't I spend my life trying to improve the things I am good at and spend them yeah. a much like where can I add the maximum value to this firm and do those things and then find people, you know, because I've chosen to grow, find people who are good at coaching. Yeah. And we have people that are good at coaching. Yeah. And so we I get out of the way and let them do it. I'm curious, what is your opinion on having multiple people do that. And the, the reason I'm asking you that question is everyone has their own style or way of doing things. Clearly not everyone's going to have the same deposition because they have a different way of asking certain questions and setting someone up. Um, so what's your opinion on having multiple people on board someone? I think it's a good idea as long as everyone's on the same page, if we're not giving conflicting signals. Mm -hmm. uh, like each of our associates works with, with one exception, Mallory's team, the associates just work with Mallory because she's got a bigger docket and she has two paralegals. But most of the associates work for two different higher level lawyers, senior level lawyers. And uh, a couple of reasons for it. One is we didn't have enough. We couldn't justify hiring five new associates. We, didn't, we had enough work to add. You know, it was going to be two and we decided on three uh, because we wanted every add at least one associate, you know, at least a half time on every team. But so one was just a financial reality is we can only hire so many. But the other was I kind of wanted people to get exposed to more than one person because that way they can see how different people do things. And then, you know, we have some things that you have to do at the firm. You know, the, like we talked before, getting certain things out on a certain time, reviewing your files a certain way. But there are other things that are a matter of personal style. And, you know, I've really realized that trying cases with other lawyers that there are things that Mallory does very differently than I do, but they work for it. Like if Mallory was trying to imitate me, it wouldn't work. Right. Or Sonia was trying to imitate me, it wouldn't work. And vice versa. But they do things that work for them very well. And so, you know, I think there is that that thing between we have our non-negotiables you have to do, which are real basic stuff, and then finding what works for you and where you're the most effective. It's almost like all of your podcast guests who come on and you say, what have you done to develop yourself? 
And all of the very successful lawyers we've had on here have all said, I go to all these CLEs and I listen to all these different people and then I do a mixture of it and I do what works for me. Right. So let's talk about, I think the hardest part of growth is adding lawyers. What are some of the challenges you've seen? Because we've had successes and frankly, we've had spectacular failures Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that have been very painful uh, and very emotionally draining and very disruptive uh, when either we've made the wrong hiring decision or when we haven't communicated and continued to communicate expectations and boundaries clearly and let things slide to the point that they got out of hand. Yeah. Uh, which I think some of that could, the fault could be on us, not just the lawyer. Cause if you tell them something at the beginning and then you don't mention it again and they're doing it, you don't say anything to them, then why would they think that they couldn't do that? Right. Uh, or that they had to do that. So I, I but you've, you've seen it. I, I just kind of like get your take on that. Well, I, I think first, you're right. Expectations is is really important. Um, but I think the harder conversation is when you see something that's not working out well, having that difficult discussion and talking about it. You know, in our leadership meetings, we talk about being open and honest with each other and not letting anything fester. And I think the hard part about bringing on an attorney is There's this fine line between not letting anything fester and bringing something up, but also realizing that it takes someone a little bit of time to figure out the way you do things and how to do them and find their footing. So you want to have those conversations, but also you need to be honest and think, okay, well, they also just started. So I have to give them a little bit of time. So trying to find the balance between what's a little bit of time and what's okay, you should have figured this out by now. Let's have a conversation. I think that is difficult. But I also think that, to your point, it's hard to break habits. And so when anyone comes on and they work at our firm, we have procedures in place. And one of our top podcasts is the Ten Commandments with Mallory, where we talk about the way that we work up our cases. And so I think it is hard sometimes for someone to come on and and try and change their habits and do something differently And so I think one of the things we're learning now is if we do want to scale our law firm, if we bring in these younger lawyers and we train them up, then we've given them all the tools to be successful and do this when they're ready to handle their own docket. I don't know if there is anything I can say specifically when it comes to learning from those who have come to our firm in the past and not worked out. And I think some of those people are exactly where they should be now. Yeah. I don't think all of this ever is just on our end where it's our fault that it didn't work out. I think sometimes some people are just meant to work in a different environment. So I think that that plays a factor as well. And I will say that one of the things you and I have talked about is sometimes lawyers only last at a place for two or three years. And that's just what the industry is. But we don't want that. We want people to be with us for longer. Um, so sometimes I try and think to myself, well, maybe that person was just, they lasted their time and they're just not meant to be here with us. Yeah. And, you know, people all have to find their own path. And, and But, uh, yeah, I've, uh, our current strategy, we've hired three uh, lawyers with one or two years of experience. Uh, one right out, actually zero to two. I mean, one right out of law school. Mm-hmm. One had done criminal defense work for a year and wanted to try civil. And then a young man that had done civil work, uh, personal injury work before, uh, and was, I think, a year out or something. Uh, real happy with all three. They've got three. I, I, uh, they're all bright. They're soaking everything in like a sponge. I mean, I love, I love them each for their own reasons. Uh, but it is a lot more work uh, on the front end. It's a different work. You've got a lot more training you have to know that you can't get thrown in there and have them do things. But then when we've hired experienced lawyers, they, they've done things, but then they're going to do them the way they've always done them. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm never going to hire an experienced lawyer again because we, you know, at our current growth rate, we may get to the point where we just need someone that can handle a docket and we don't have the, the two to four years it's going to take to train someone up to do that. I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping we can do this. You know, we hire we're hiring law students as law clerks during the year, and we're hoping to, to see from that crop who we might want to bring in as an associate and then see from that crop who could – because, you know, the, the reality is not everybody is going to end up being, 
you know, you could be have the right fit to be a good associate, but not everyone's going to be able to have the right fit to not only have the legal skills, but then the skills of managing a docket, manage because you have to manage your docket, you have to manage your team of your, you know, your paralegal, your medical coordinator, uh, and eventually your own associate. And, you know, that's a different skill set that not everybody has. And so then you have to have the difficult conversation of, you know, if you want to, you can keep working here, but this is the role you're going to have. And if you want to get a bigger role, you have to develop the skill set. Right. Uh, but you have to, I think it's just the open honesty, transparency with people. So I'm hoping that this works because I think the other thing with hiring experienced people and same with paralegals, I have arguments with our other, <laughs> all, all of our, all of our lawyers think that there's some perfect paralegal out there. They can just come in and it's going to instantly learn everything and do everything right. And they're going to yeah. be plug and play and they, and they don't really exist. And I think the the allure of hiring someone that's experienced is you think they can be you can just hire them, give them the docket, and they're going to run with it. And at some firms you can do that, uh, but at our firm because I'm I'm so picky about how I want things done, because and I'm not just being picky to be a prima donna. It's just we have a promise we make to our referral partners that if you are nice enough to bring us in on your case, we are going to do the case to this standard. Right. Which means I have to enforce those standards at my firm. And, you know, that's not for everybody. And and that's OK. It's just we're not you know, we're 10 lawyers. There's hundreds of thousands of millions of lawyers out there. We're not that you are not your only option. But, you know, we want to find people that want to share in our values and share in our vision of how to do things. You know, you mentioned earlier that you like the excitement that the younger attorneys have when they join the firm and they're here now. And I agree with you. There's almost a, a different feeling that you have when you bring on a younger lawyer and they're excited to be here and they want to be here and they want to learn. And one of our core values is we constantly seek to learn and improve. And when you bring on those younger lawyers, you have that. And that is fun. But to to the other side of that, it, it also takes a lot of time, too. So the commitment, the time commitment when you bring someone like that on is is big. And I think it's going to get our senior lawyers to step up their game mm-hmm. because, you know, you're going to have a young lawyer participating in case reviews with two different lawyers. There's a little bit of, well, I can't be slacking when they see how that other person's doing stuff. And, yeah. Uh, hey, I got someone watching me do this now. I, I, I want to impress them. I want to teach them. I'm going to go work a little harder at it. Not that our people don't work hard, but I think I think that's I think I see yeah. a little bit of of upping the game a little bit when you add a younger lawyer to the team. Well, and. And what's interesting is when you do that, I think another added bonus, it is it requires our attorneys to be over communicative because right. if you have an associate who's working or a, a younger lawyer who's working with two different attorneys, then you're almost forcing those two other attorneys to communicate with each other a lot more and make sure that this younger attorney who's shadowing both of them is not overwhelmed. And I have really enjoyed seeing those attorneys talk to each other and, and make sure, hey, here's what I have this person doing. Are you doing that as well? And then it also gives them an idea like, oh, hey, you have them doing that. Well, I have a case where I can have them do that, too. Yeah. And I'm enjoying seeing the you know communications between all of them because they're sharing someone. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that we, you know, we had to get buy in because there's sometimes people see the younger attorneys as competition and mm-hmm. they don't really want to go with the time. And I think the the way we're doing it is that the, you know, the fees for bonus calculations, the fees go to the senior level lawyer, the you know junior associates aren't on percentages. And so, you know, this person has the ability to help you make more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not charging for the first year. I'm not charging against the kind of the overhead and the, and the calculations when we're doing bonus stuff right. to the to the lawyer. So they're kind of getting free help for a year. And so and then we have to talk about, do you still want to, is it now, do they have enough value to make it worth it? Do you not? If not, you got to go back to it yourself and have that person work with someone else. And so, uh, and, you know, I found that people, like when Mallory took the plunge and, and hired Robert as associate, even though. It meant increasing the number she had to bring in to get any bonus for herself. Uh, it, I think she's made a lot more money because he adds value. Right. Uh, and I think that that's what we're going to experience with our other three. Uh, and I'm just, uh, they have been so helpful and so awesome already. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just excited about it. So, yeah, you know, because the growth is scary, uh, but it's exciting. It's scary. It's, you know, just a, it can be a wild ride. But I do think that if you, you know, put the time in, you realize it's something you actually want. You put the time in to, to plan for it, you know, grow at a slow enough rate where you can have time to onboard and train somebody 
Or if you're going to go at a faster rate, you just need to get someone to do that that can do it right. Because you're right. not going to have time to do it all yourself if you're still practicing law. Uh, and then just, you know, because it makes sure you look at the at the finances and that it's not only makes sense to grow, but that you are in a position where you can afford to grow uh, because you might have to defer it until you can either get more cash in the door or more credit since, you know, we have this weird model where we do the work and get paid a year or two later. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want to add? Is there anything else that you've learned as we try and, and scale our law firm? I think there is. I think the biggest sources of catastrophe, and when I talk, I mean things that may have ended the firm, and 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 even more minor stresses, but definitely the the, the things that were that have presented like an extinction level danger to our law firm, were the result of me not having the courage to have difficult conversations early, mm-hmm. when things could still be salvaged, and letting through my own avoidance of discomfort and avoidance of, well, if I had this hard conversation, this person might leave and might not want to work here anymore. Letting things get so out of hand that the relationship could not work anymore. And right. they had to end. And that can bring ugliness and uh, it can bring, you know, chaos, uh, division. And, and so what I've had to learn, and I'm still working on, it, I'm not perfect at this yet, is to have critical conversations for something uh, becomes a huge issue Uh, and to do it kindly. But I would be too kind. I'd hit around. I would hint around. Yeah. uh, And the person would know what I was talking about, but they were getting away with it. And I just have to clearly say, look, this, this isn't going to work. If you know, let me put it this way. What, 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 you know, this is what my expectations are. You know, I want this to work, but this is not a negotiation. This is what, this is the ground rules. And I, if you need help, if you want guidance, I will help you do this stuff. But these these things are non-negotiable. And that we told you that when we hired you. You agreed to that when you came on. And, and this is what has to be done if you want to work here. Uh, and and I'm probably a little gentler than that, but but not a, you know, well, I thought, I, you know, I, I'd really like it if you would do this more. I, it needs to be clear, like, this right. is the expectation. You really need to make it. I want this to work out. But to work, for this to work out, you need to meet my expectation. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not easy to lose someone. Um, and, and I think an important part of that is making sure that you're right. You do have those conversations and you're really clear because the last thing you want is to part ways with someone and feel like maybe there would have been a chance if I had been a little bit more clear and it is uncomfortable, but I think it's, it's worth it in the end. Yeah. I think it's about 50, 50 with, I'm thinking of people that I have associated myself and had some toxic relationship with people that were using me, uh, that no matter how much clearly I mean, if I had my expectations communicated more clearly, they would have left and found another sucker somewhere else <laughs> sooner. Uh, seriously, I mean, yeah. our, you know, that it just wouldn't. And there are other people that I think had I been clearer earlier and not let things get out of hand, that we could have salvaged the, 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 the relationship, the friendship. And so, you know, I'm not even trying that. Uh, I've got to talk to my wife about it. I got to ask for permission. But I, one of the things I want to start doing is, you know, sometimes my wife, this has nothing to do with law, but, you know, sometimes my wife is talking to me and I'm offering solutions. And I'm realizing that might not be what she wants. So I'm going to start asking her if I get her permission to ask her this. I mean, would you like me to offer you a solution or do you just want me to listen to you? And I'm fine with it. And I'm not saying that that's a problem. If you, if you just want me to listen to you because that's what you need, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I'll keep my mouth shut. Or do you want me to try to work with you to find a solution? And I'm not saying that be critically because I just want to give you what you need. Yeah. And I think part of it is just having being just ultra clear, uh, ultra transparent, over communicate. I think is so important, especially when you're growing. I, I, I like that. I feel like you can use that in work too. You know, a lot of people, especially in our industry, sometimes you just need a vent. Yeah. So I think sometimes it would be helpful to say, I just need a vent. Let's not try and figure it out. Let me just get this off my chest. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Delisi, I've enjoyed this conversation. I've actually got, guess, gets me thinking about some more. So everyone out there listening, if, if you want to grow, I encourage you to do it. If you don't want to grow, I respect that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know some people that end up with a lot more money in their pocket at the end of the year every year than I do that have really small niche practices and uh, low overhead. And, you know, I've, I've done the numbers. If I, if I could only do my top 10 cases I would and get rid of everybody else, I would make more money in my pocket at the end of the year. Uh, but I 
one, I don't know how to get those 10 cases without <laughs> bringing in the other ones. I mean, I don't, you know, as far yeah. as a marketing funnel and two, I don't want to lose all these. I love them. They're, they're fun. They're invigorating. I mean, I learn from them. I enjoy being around them. I, I feel one of the things that gives me purpose and fulfillment in life is seeing not just lawyers, but non-lawyers too, seeing people grow and reach potential and improve. And it just, I love it. Uh, and so for me, I love it, but it, you have to see if it's for you or not, but if it is, you know, just keep on top of it and, and try to do it right uh, with giving the people you bring on the tools they need and clearly communicating the expectations to them. And, you know, my hope for each one of you is if you want to grow, that you get to grow and that you have an incredibly prosperous and successful, but also healthy and happy 2022. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.